When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, including some additional indicators of ARM-based PCs on the horizon, including some PCs from Apple. Johnny Ive, though, is leaving Apple and starting his own design firm. We'll explore the impact of that. Microsoft is shuttering their ebook store, but is making things right for their customers. Ubuntu responds to gamers over last week's controversy involving Steam. We'll explore that, too. Uh, There's some more speculation regarding the new NVIDIA Shield and what it might mean as far as the Nintendo Switch is concerned as well. Uh, We'll also explore YouTube notifications and some different ways that you can get notified of your favorite creators. And we'll look at some of my favorite places to shop for the gadgets that I review here on the channel. Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. And before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. We had a bunch of super chats come in between my premiere of last week's wrap-up and two of the live streams that I did over the weekend. So I want to thank John Cranmore, BHZ, Brian Parker, Bryce Holland, Robert Van Etta, and I also want to thank David Yablonski, Maurice Smith, Josiah Guernsey, and Tristan Leonard. I want to thank these folks for their contributions to the channel, along with everybody who's been contributing on an ongoing basis and everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by our friends at Plex, and they are running a sale this summer for cord cutters. This is the big summer of cord cutting promotion, and this is for U.S. residents only. And what you can get for 30% off is a Plex Pass along with an HD Home Run Connect Duo Tuner and a cable cutter Metro antenna. The total cost is $97 for the bundle. That's normally $138. And you'll get free shipping in the contiguous 48 states for this deal as well. Now, if you're not familiar with Plex, it is my favorite media serving application. It's free. Uh, You can download it and put all your movies and music and TV shows into one place and then stream it to your phones and other devices around the house. They have the Plex Pass, which gives you additional features uh, like the DVR and live TV functions, along with things like mobile syncing and a bunch of other stuff as well. And if you've been thinking about making the leap and having your Plex server do more like live TV watching, uh, this might be something worth checking out. Uh, One of the cool things about the way I use my Plex server is that I can watch all of the channels that I have access to at home anywhere in the world. It's pretty cool, and you can get a nice deal on this bundle to try it out for yourself. And now it's time for the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed stuff that we ended up doing some more things with on the main channel that included an unboxing of the Valve Index, the new VR headset. Uh, We unboxed the BitBoy Pocket Go emulation handheld And we unboxed the new iPod Touch for 2019. Yes, they are still making them. And yes, I reviewed it. If you missed it, uh, you can check out all of these videos in the master playlist link down below in the video description. Uh, We also did a video on hardware transcoding for Plex. so You can get a sense as to how to make your uh, video work more efficiently in your installation. So that was a fun one that generated a good amount of discussion. 
Uh, and then I did two live streams on the same day, on Saturday, uh, because we got the Valve Index in. I unboxed it live and then uh, did a, another live stream last night, which went for about two hours, where I hooked it up for the first time and tried it out and gave you my initial impressions. I still have a few more things to troubleshoot with it, so I'll probably... Uh, do a video review of it a little later this week, but this was a uh, fun thing. A bunch of you tuned into it. What's funny is that because I was in the headset, there wasn't a lot of chat going on, but we did have close to 100 people watching throughout the course of the evening. I uh, just didn't get a lot of chats on that one. So next time we do one of these, I'll have uh, somebody watching and uh, channeling me some some comments as we've been going with it. The index is pretty cool. I've been enjoying it. It's definitely an upgrade over the HTC Vive, but now there's more dials to turn for uh, configuration and for graphic settings and everything. So I've just got to dig into it a little bit more to get a good feel for it. But the image quality is substantially better than the Vive in almost all the areas in which you would measure image quality. So it was very uh, nice as an upgrade, but it's not cheap. $1,000 for just the VR headset, the sensors, and the controllers, and you still need to have a PC powerful enough to run it. And this was the first live stream that I did using OBS because I was upstairs in my bonus room and I didn't have my TriCaster up there with me, and it worked out really well. I was surprised by how easy it was to get set up and how smooth the stream appeared to run throughout the entire evening, so it was a pretty good experience. I did use a lot of NDI technology, which we've talked about here on the channel before, to bring video into the uh, machine that was serving the uh, live stream from. Uh, So what we did was we had the NDI scan converter uh, take video from my PC to feed it into the other computer. Uh, We also had my camera up on one of the NDI spark boxes that I used. And I've got a link down below to more information about NDI, which I think is a great way for channeling video around your home. Really fun experiment, and I'll probably do more with OBS as the weeks and months progress here. Uh, When we did one of those live streams, Eric Bazinga had a question. He was wondering if anyone else out there is playing around with the Oculus Quest or PC VR solutions and wanted to do a game night uh, for the channel in Rec Room or VR Chat. Uh, If you are interested, let me know down in the comments below. I'll see if there's enough people to warrant putting something together, and maybe we'll do a live stream game night. Uh, where we all pop into Rec Room or VR Chat and play a couple of games together. It might be kind of fun. I didn't realize Rec Room is actually cross-platform, so if you're on PC, apparently those on the Quest and other platforms can jump in as well. So we'll play around with that. It may be kind of fun to do. So let me know down in the comments below, and we'll set up a doodle thing to find the right time for everybody. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And the first item involves ARM chips and Macs and Windows PCs. It looks like Apple is ramping up their efforts, as this Bloomberg article indicates, to get an ARM-based Mac out there. And my prediction from last year was that they're going to make an ARM-based version of the little 12-inch MacBook, which I think would be awesome. I would buy one in a heartbeat because I use this thing all the time. And I am very excited to see if anything happens with this. Apple is very good at developing their operating system across multiple chipsets, as we've seen in the past. So I think this is definitely something that is going to happen and I am eager to see it. And it also looks like Microsoft is experimenting with ARM chips for their next round of Surface devices, and I would love to see a Surface Go with an ARM chip. I really love the Surface Go that I bought last year. I use it all the time. It's nice to have a Windows computer in such a small form factor, and it would be cool to see if they would do an ARM version too. Uh, We looked at an ARM-based Windows machine last year, It was okay, but it wasn't quite up to the performance levels that its price suggested, and the battery life was good, but not spectacular, so we'll have to see what this next round provides, but it's definitely cool to see 
uh, some more development happening here with ARM chips and mainline PCs. And last week, Apple announced that Johnny Ive is leaving the company to form his own design firm called Lovefrom, but the company's first client is going to be Apple. So nothing is changing here. He will continue to design Apple products through this new firm that he's starting, but it looks like you might start seeing some of Johnny Ive's design work make its way into other consumer products. That could be good or bad. Uh, Vice Magazine here uh, says it's going to be bad and that history will not be kind to Johnny Ive. They accuse him of making products that are not upgradable and very difficult to repair. And I would agree with that to a degree, but I think actually the fault goes way back to Steve Jobs, who never liked anything upgradable. And one of the interesting things about Apple is that there was a time in which they were making things that were infinitely upgradable. So check out my Apple IIe. This is my childhood Apple IIe that my father bought for his business back in like 1983 or so, or 82. Uh, We paid a fortune for this thing, about $5,000 for all the things that we got with it. But check it out. Uh, There were seven expansion slots in this thing, and you didn't have to use any screws to get the cover off. You just pulled it off, and you were in. Uh, And there was a lot of documentation for the hardware and the software, and it was just something that uh, Steve Wozniak, who designed the original Apple computer, thought uh, a computer should be open and accessible and upgradable. And then when Steve Jobs started designing Macs and uh, moving the company into the modern era, he basically stripped all of that upgradability and built the appliances like we have behind me there. Uh, Interestingly enough, the Apple IIgs back there was just as expandable as the Apple IIe was. But once the Apple II line was uh, taken out of commission, uh, the upgradability on the consumer side, at least, definitely started to taper off. And when Jobs came back to the company, everything went to the direction that it did. However, one could argue that it's made the company very, very profitable, more so than any other PC maker, and to some degree more so than other phone makers, too. So although it is not good for the consumers or the environment, it certainly made them a lot of money, and I think Apple will be keeping that exclusivity deal with Johnny I for as long as they can, too, because he's been a big part of that growth. And we've talked a lot over the last couple of months about digital versus physical media and the risks of buying digitally. And here's another example of a digital store shuttering, this time from Microsoft, who's closing their ebook shop. Uh, the good news for customers of the Microsoft ebook shop is that you will get all of your money back for anything that you bought over the lifespan of that store. That is a really nice gesture that Microsoft is doing. Uh, they will be refunding the original payment source, though. So if your credit card has expired since then, Uh, What you will get instead is a credit on your Microsoft Store account. And presumably, if you're buying books from Microsoft, there's other things you might end up buying from the company, so at least you have some money waiting for you there. Another thing they're doing, which was really nice, is that if you have any markups or annotations in the books that you bought from Microsoft before April 2nd, 2019, they're going to give you an additional $25 credit. So they're actually compensating people for their lost notes But you definitely want to back those up before July kicks off here because sometime this month it's all going away. And again, it just speaks to the volatility sometimes of these digital marketplaces. But at least in the case of Microsoft, they have enough money to compensate people for the loss. As we saw with the Ouya about two weeks ago, that store is shuttering and you got nothing after that is over with. So good on Microsoft, but again, just another reminder of the volatility of buying digital. And speaking of buying things digitally, the Google Stadia game streaming platform is launching in November and more details are coming out. Uh, This week we learned via Eurogamer that the service will charge full price for the games that you stream on the Google Stadia network. So you have to buy the games from Google 
It'll live in your Google Stadia library and you can then stream it to whatever you got after purchasing the game. And if you want their high-end 4K streams, you've got to pay a subscription fee on top of that. Uh, So a lot of folks were surprised by that news. I wasn't just because I think the games will cost the same on any platform. So why should Google Stadia be any different? Although hopefully they have a good amount of free titles available for the subscription payers. Uh, You can play the game that you paid for for free after you bought it, of course, uh, provided you are okay with a 1080p only stream, which for many folks with limited connections might be the best they'll get. I do kind of like the approach that Google's taking with this, at least insofar as how the controllers work, because the controllers connect directly to the Stadia service over Wi-Fi as opposed to going through your Chromecast or your uh, Android box or something like that. So kind of a neat way of approaching the problem technically, although the market for it remains to be seen. My prediction, though, still remains that I think if there will be a winner of PC uh, game streaming over the Internet, it will be the NVIDIA GeForce Now service, which we talked about in a video a few months ago. And what I like about what NVIDIA is doing is that they've taken the whole buying the game out of the equation. Uh, You can stream your games from Steam and uh, to some degree from Epic, and I'm guessing what will probably happen is they'll let you just stream it from anywhere, uh, and you can pay them the the fee to just use the service to be able to do that streaming. I think that's probably what um, is going to be, I think, the winning model here, just because it makes a lot of sense to not have to rebuy games and choose the platform that you want to buy them on. But we'll see. There's a lot going to happen with streaming in the next couple of months, and there's going to be a lot of competition for what some of these companies think might be a very big market, but a lot of gamers don't really think there is one at all. Now, last week we talked about how the folks at Valve were looking at dropping support for Ubuntu because Ubuntu was dropping support for 32-bit applications. And there's a lot of Linux games that depend on the Wine library, which allows Windows apps to run on Linux. And if that support was gone, the games wouldn't work. And Valve said we can't support Ubuntu anymore if that's going to be the case. A big uproar developed, and that led Canonical, the folks behind Ubuntu, to come up with a solution, which looks like it's going to take some engineering to solve, but it's great to see them working so hard to solve it. Uh, So what they're going to do is maintain support for 32-bit libraries in future versions of Ubuntu, but they're going to be doing that within a container. And this is very similar to how Linux runs on Chrome OS, for example. So you can actually utilize the uh, operating system resources, but isolate the applications from the operating system. It's not quite like a virtual machine, but it's similar in that you have that isolation, and that's the solution that they're going to find here for gaming. It shouldn't impact performance at all. It'll keep those games running, and Canonical can keep Ubuntu rolling forward with their 64-bit applications. But they warn that there is a real risk to anybody who's running a body of software that gets little testing. They say the facts are that most 32-bit x86 applications are hardly used at all, That means fewer eyeballs and more bugs. And they're also talking about the fact that uh, vulnerabilities like Spectre and Meltdown uh, do not have mitigations for 32-bit systems. So there's some risk here in continuing onward with 32-bit applications. And those running games should be aware of this, that a library that might be vulnerable in its 64-bit version and 32-bit version may not see a viable fix on the 32-bit version just given how few people use it. So it's going to be an ongoing concern of Canonical and undoubtedly we'll see 64-bit games hopefully become more prevalent as things roll forward. But I think this was a really good way to address things. 
Uh, one thing that Canonical noted in their blog post, though, was that Valve was informed about what they were planning to do all along, and they were kind of taken aback by the huge outlash that happened as a result of this announcement. But again, they're making good on it, and I think they've come up with a good solution here. And last week, we talked a little bit about the potential for a new Tegra X1 chip and what that might mean for the NVIDIA Shield TV. Uh, There was a great video up on Digital Foundry this week that dug into this and what a new Tegra X1 might mean. And remember, we've been hearing about this Switch Mini for a while, and I think it's no accident that we're hearing the Switch Mini uh, come, come around at the same time that this chip is. And what the folks at Digital Foundry are speculating is that this chip will be smaller and more power efficient, yet deliver similar performance, which means that you could make a fanless version of the Switch, for example, which of course would lend itself to a smaller form factor. And that seems very viable to me. And perhaps we might see a smaller form factor NVIDIA Shield too. So we'll have to see exactly what comes out of this. But I think the consensus is that we won't see any performance gains over the NVIDIA Shield that we got back in 2015, but it might be smaller and more power efficient. Likewise, the Nintendo Switch Mini won't be any more powerful, but will be in a smaller form factor with no fan and possibly better battery life. So if you want to learn more about the technical details of this chip and what it might mean, check out the link you see on screen. And I got a quick preview for you here of a home theater device that I checked out over the weekend. Uh, This is the Sennheiser Ambio, and it's not cheap. It's $2,500, but it is probably the best soundbar I have ever heard, and it's completely self-contained. So you have the amplifier, it has a subwoofer, it's got nine speakers, it has Atmos upward-firing speakers as well, and I was blown away by how good this sounded, both for Atmos movies, but also just stereo CD recordings and the way that it works in enveloping you in sound, including making things sound like they're coming behind you. It's just remarkable. Uh, The setup is pretty easy. You take a microphone out and put it uh, in the chair that you will be sitting in, and then it kind of configures itself based on uh, the room and and how the sound is bouncing around. But this was a really good-sounding device. I'm going to try to get one in for review uh, because it costs the same as what you might spend on a nice home theater system when you factor the speakers, the installation, the receiver. And this thing is an out-of-the-box solution that I think will work in a probably a mid to even large size room. It's really good. And if you are looking at a sound bar and you have the budget, check it out because I think you'll be quite pleased with the sound it generates. And again, I'll try to get one in and play around with it. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Vinny T., And this is in response to the discussion we had last week about aggregating YouTube notifications from your favorite channels. I'll talk a little bit more about some of my frustrations related to YouTube notifications in a minute and why this was a problem for me and may not be for others. But I wanted to talk about uh, Vinny's solution here first because I think this is actually going to help a lot of people who don't like getting notified constantly throughout the day. So as it turns out, the YouTube app has a digest feature where you will get a single notification at a time that you specify, and it will have all of your notifications here from that period of time all banked up for you so you don't have to deal with the notifications constantly streaming in throughout the day. The only downside is that if somebody goes live or schedules something, you're not going to see the notification until your digest time. So just keep that in mind. But if you don't like all those things getting pushed to your phone throughout the day, uh, this is a nice way to keep everything consolidated. 
And what it does is it pops up in the inbox that you see there at the bottom of the screen. And again, you'll get all of your notifications delivered to you, uh, whether they are bell clicks or algorithmic recommendations. Now, if you want to set this up, what you need to do is click on your account in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. And then you need to go over to settings. And when you're in there, you can then browse over to notifications. It's kind of buried in here, unfortunately. And you can click on Schedule Digest. And then if you tap on it, uh, you can then pick the delivery time in which those notifications get sent to you. And that's how you make it work. Now, this only, though, works on the mobile app. It doesn't appear to work on the web version of YouTube. So you'll still get your notifications on the web version the same way. But on the mobile app, you'll get a nice consolidation of what YouTube has delivered for you. Now, a lot of people were wondering why I don't just go into my subscriptions feed to browse through everything. And I think the problem that I have with the subscription feed is that I have subscribed to a ton of channels and a lot of stuff just gets buried at the end of the day when I'm going back through it all. And there are some videos that I'll get notified about throughout the day that I really want to take a look at later. And there's no real easy way to add them to my watch later list to be able to get at at a later time. And I think what I might end up doing is just start unsubscribing from channels that I'm not watching all that frequently. But I'm reluctant to do that because I also think that your subscription list does feed into the recommendation algorithm, which is how I find new stuff. So I'm really trying to figure out the best way to balance this. And there's a few creators that I just love everything that they do, and I never want to miss any videos. And generally, the algorithm's pretty good at making sure I see those, but there are a few that may not post all that frequently that I don't watch enough as a result, and therefore, I don't get the notification in my recommended videos. Captain Disillusion's channel is a great example of that. He posts maybe once a month or so, and I think there's just not enough post frequency there for the algorithm to really know I want to see all of his stuff, perhaps, because I never see it in my recommended feed, but I do get the notification when he uploads. So that's part of my reason. It's kind of complicated, but uh, there's stuff I'm missing because I don't really want to spend all day scrolling through my long subscription feed, but maybe the solution here is to just make my subscription feed smaller and then I won't miss anything. Now this next question comes in from Christian Anderson who loves the show and wants to know more about how I shop for hardware. And he says we could probably learn a thing or two about my favorite stores. And I got a couple of things for you, but to be honest with you, I am not all that innovative of a shopper, primarily because the deals have largely been consolidated to a few big players now. So let me give you a list of the places that I go to buy stuff. Uh, Amazon, of course, is top of the list because they have a lot of inventory and they can get it to me quickly at prices that are generally competitive. So I get a lot of stuff from Amazon. Uh, I've been doing more at Walmart lately, partly because they've been landing some exclusives, but also... Uh, because I can run to my store to pick up a lot of this stuff, which saves on shipping, especially if some new item comes out that I know a lot of you are interested in. I can buy it from Walmart and run over there and pick it up. Uh, so for example, those two iPads that I got for my kids that I reviewed here on the channel, Walmart had them for $250 a piece. I ordered them, picked them up the same day, and was working on the video by the evening. So that's a good deal for me. I can run over there quickly and get stuff, and it's the same price online as it is offline. I've been doing a lot, though, with B&H lately. So let me show you a couple of things about B&H that I like quite a bit. Uh, the first is their deal zone section, uh, which has some really good prices on just a random assortment of gadgets. And they rotate the stock usually every day or two. Uh, so I usually go on here in the morning and just check out and see what's there. 
Uh, and a lot of times I'm buying stuff I didn't think I needed, <laughs> but oftentimes it ends up as a review here on the channel. And they have some other best price specials that they put down below. So what's nice is that their deals are not junk. Uh, most of the stuff is good stuff, and there's usually a pretty good price on it. You definitely want to price compare and make sure that you are, in fact, getting a good deal. But look at this one, even a Chromecast Ultra for 54 bucks, not a bad deal. Uh, over there on their website. And what's nice about B&H is that a lot of people think of them as just a camera shop, but they sell everything consumer electronics related. In fact, that's where I bought my Nintendo Switch when it came out because they had inventory. Uh, another thing that I really like about B&H is that they have recently put in this new credit card called the PayBoo card. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And you got to be careful with this because the interest rate on it is really high. But if you are managing things well and paying it off at the end of the month, uh, you will get every dime of your sales tax back at the point you buy the, the items. So for me, it's a 6.35% savings. It's not coming back to me as a store credit or something that accrues and then is given to me at the end of the month. It is immediate and it comes right off the price. And what you end up paying is uh, the price of the item minus the sales tax. And that's a great deal given that we're going to see most online retailers start charging you sales tax here in the U.S. Uh, but again, the interest rate on the card is like 30%. Uh, so you don't want to carry a balance. You'll be giving back all of that money <laughs> pretty quickly. But if you are uh, willing to just pay it off, you can get a good deal and save yourself a lot over their competitors. And the base price is usually the same or better as it would be anywhere else you'll find it. Another tip is Apple. And let me go over to their website real quick because they have a refurb store at the bottom of their website. And let me pull up the screen here so you can see where to find that. So if you go to apple.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom where it says Apple Store, you're going to see an option here for refurbished and clearance. And this is where you can get some good deals. Uh, sometimes they're older Macs, maybe from the prior generation that are getting closed out. Sometimes they're just straight up refurbs, but generally you can get uh, some really good pricing here on a pretty much new item. Uh, they come with the same warranty. They're cleaned up good as new. Uh, so there's really nothing that uh, you're risking by going with a refurb other than the fact that you're saving money and it's delivered in a brown box or whatever that uh, indicates that it was a refurbished product. But beyond that, uh, they've got iPads and uh, Macs and iPhones, and usually you can get a good deal on uh, some slightly older equipment that really, in my experience, comes in good as new. No problems at all. I've bought refurbs for a very long time and have been very pleased with what I get out of Apple because, of course, they have uh, fixed them all up uh, domestically and they're ready to go. So good deals there. Now, another thing you want to look for is the Apple Education Store. If you have kids or have somebody in school or somebody that works for a school, uh, they extend an educational discount to all of those parties. So a teacher, a student, uh, just about anybody can get a discount from Apple on brand new equipment. Let's take a look at some of the prices on that. So on the right is the regular Apple store pricing and on the left is the educational store pricing. And you can see here that this MacBook Pro, uh, the top of the line one here, is $200 less for exactly the same hardware. That's a good deal on a brand new computer. So definitely, check out the education store before you buy. Uh, and I don't believe they uh, spend all that much time verifying that you are a legitimate educational customer. So you should have a student at home or have one in college, but if you got a student, try it out and see if you can get the deals because you can save a couple hundred bucks there 
uh, just by going through the education store. There are some limitations as to how many computers you can buy throughout the year, uh, but if you are buying a computer once every five or six years or something, I think you can get a pretty good deal, as you can see there. But also look, again, at B&H, because you're not paying the sales tax even on a $2,500 purchase if you use that card, and that will be a pretty significant savings as well. So really shop around and try to figure out the best uh, option for your particular needs on those things. Now, of course, there's a lot of specialty shops out there. One of my favorites is Simply Nuck, and they specialize in nothing other than Intel Nuck devices. They've got some fanless ones that you can see up on screen here. And if you go to their website at simplynuck.com, you can see a few of the other things that they sell. Uh, so pretty much what they do is pre-configure NUCs for business and gamers and anyone else, and you can get uh, a NUC that you can build out yourself, and you don't have to go through the process of having to install RAM and storage in the operating system. I would bet you, if you wrote to them and said, hey, I just want a bare-bones one, they could probably sell you that too. Uh, when we looked at the uh, gaming NUC a few months ago, I bought it from them because they got it before anybody else did. They're an Intel partner for these products, and they've got just so much to look at. And if you've been looking at getting a NUC for any kind of use, you can uh, browse around on there and probably find one with the configuration that you're looking for. It just goes on and on and on. But they sure do know their NUCs. Now, given that I live in Connecticut, I unfortunately don't have access to a lot of the things that some of you might have around the world and the nation here. Uh, one of those is Micro Center. I am so jealous of anyone that has a Micro Center near them. Look at this store. It looks like a place that I would be at all the time. Uh, so they have, of course, you know, pre-assembled tablets and computers, but they also sell all of the parts. They've got a knowledge bar here. Look at all this stuff. You can even take classes on how to build your own PC. This is just great stuff, and they are, I think, a pretty successful retailer, primarily because they are catering to uh, people that are doing some of their own work and need parts from time to time. I, unfortunately, don't have a parts store nearby, and I would love to have one because I think a lot of Amazon purchases would get diverted over to Micro Center because I could just run down and pick them up. But unfortunately, uh, that is not the case for me. Now, in my Q&A for you this week, I would love to get some tips from all of you on where you get the best deals. Uh, so let me know if there are some secret portions of other manufacturer websites that we should be taking a look at. Uh, by the way, most of the major manufacturers like Dell and Lenovo and HP, they all have refurb stores as well, so there's some options for that. Uh, there's also retailers that resell computers that are coming off lease, and you can often get a really good deal there. So let me know where you're buying your stuff from. Maybe we'll go on a little shopping spree and put together some Plex server or something on the cheap that has a decent processor from one of those off-lease sites. That might be a fun project. So let me know down in the comments below. And our pick of the week this week is a great YouTube channel that I've been looking at to get VR game recommendations. Uh, the channel is Ben Plays VR, and I think Ben here has bought and played every single game you can imagine in virtual reality across many different platforms. Uh, so I have really been enjoying the work that he's been putting into this channel. Uh, one of these underappreciated channels with only 27,000 subscribers. He definitely deserves more for the amount of time and effort that this channel must take to undertake. So, and cost for that matter, he's got to buy all this stuff too. So definitely check out uh, Ben Plays VR if you're getting into virtual reality and want some really good recommendations. Uh, this week, of course, is the Steam sale, and a lot of these VR games are on sale. And he's got a video on the games that are on sale as well, so you can check that out and get some good recommendations from Ben Plays VR. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things planned. There's some stuff coming in. I'm not sure if it will be here in time, but what I know I have uh, is the Lenovo Flex 14, which is one of their lower-cost yoga tablets with pen support. 
I don't think I got the pen with this one, but we'll see if I've got something that'll work with it. So stay tuned for that. I also picked this up at that show I was at in New York City last week, which is called the Piper Command Center. And what it is is an Arduino-based game controller that you build yourself. So you actually build the hardware, connect, make all the connections, and then you have the firmware that you have to put together and load onto it as well. So you really build it from scratch, essentially, uh, and it's kind of a fun little project here. It looks like it's made out of wood, uh, so we'll maybe do a live stream with this and then upload something else afterward that kind of compresses it down. But I was eager to do a little live thing. This might be a fun little project to do over hopefully not too long a period of time, but my building skills are not spectacular, so we'll see how well I do. Uh, this is designed for kids 13 and up, uh, so hopefully this old uh, 42-year-old fogey here can uh, make it happen, so we'll see how that all comes together. And then I'm still messing around with my Valve Index, but I'll probably have a review of my thoughts on it a little bit later this week as well. Uh, PC VR is really complicated still. I mean, it's not hard to set up and get working, but to really understand how it works and to best optimize it, uh, there's a lot of settings involved, and I'm trying to get my hands around most of it still. There's still some things that aren't quite right with my uh, VR headset here, and I want to get it all figured out, and I'm going to talk about that because it is requiring me to do some research and sit down and do stuff, and I think that's where things like the Oculus Quest are probably the types of products that are going to move VR ahead a lot faster, given that you put it on and turn it on and you're done. This thing is going to require a little bit more work, and uh, given the things that it can do, it does require uh, just a, more of a working knowledge of some of the concepts of virtual realities. So I'll talk more about my thoughts with that a little later in the week as well. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a, a little a commission from that. Uh, then, of course, you can sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. Uh, we also have other channels. My Extras channel is where I unbox stuff and do some supplementary content. We have the podcast at lon.tv podcast for an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel uh, where I take portions of this show and upload them in search-friendly uh, little snippets for you all. And then we have my live stream archive where you can watch hours of me babble on about nothing at lon.tv slash live streams. Now, if you like what I do and you uh, want to get notified, you can click on that notification bell and we will send you all the notifications you can handle. Uh, we also have some email lists set up, including lon.tv slash email for my regular email list. We're going to have a notification email set up by next week, so we'll be uh, giving you the address for that shortly as well. Uh, lon.tv slash Facebook is my Facebook page. We have a Facebook group with over 600 people in it now at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And then we've got the store where I sell previously used items that I reviewed here on the channel. And we just put a bunch of stuff up there and I've got more stuff to come. So check it out. And if you want to get notified whenever we update the store, we've got an email for that too. lon.tv slash store alert will let you know about that. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you all for your continued viewership, support, and comments. Keep them coming. Let me know what you thought of the VR stream over the weekend. We had a few kinks to work out with OBS, but we got through it all, and it was a lot of fun to have you all watch me tinker around with a product for two and a half hours. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold-level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar.
If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.